your Bibles to Exodus chapter 19. We're not here to hear me speak and what I have to say, but what God has to say. And so we, we come to his word, Exodus chapter 19. Israel at this point has been freed from their captivity in Egypt. They have crossed the Red Sea. God has crushed uh, the Egyptian army behind them. But now they are walking with God in the wilderness. Quite literally the wilderness, not a jungle, but a desert land. And here's what we read in Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. It says, on the third new moon, oops, let me get the slide up. Here we go. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they camped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Let's pray. Father God, uh, you, you, you opened your mouth, you spoke to Moses out of the mountain. And God, I pray that you would do the same thing to us today from your word, that you would speak to us, speak to our hearts, and God, I do pray that we would not just learn neat truths or, or even just practical precepts, but God, we would learn about you, about your glory or greatness, about your plan and purpose for us, and that we would be delighted to walk in obedience to you, Lord. Would you do that through your spirit, through your word? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Being redeemed by God is the most precious possible reality for a human. It, it, it is. Sinners, stained, wretched, saved by God's undeserved grace. Most precious possible reality. But I wonder how many Christians settle for just being saved when God has a whole world of opportunity for us to live for him, to glorify him, and to find our deep joy and satisfaction in him right now. It, it's, it's my conviction, it's my understanding as I, as I look out at the, the church abroad, the American church, the, the churches uh, around the world, too many of us, are satisfied with just being saved and are satisfied with just one day 
I will get to glorify God and enjoy him. But as we'll see today, that is not all that God has for us. As glorious as that is, that is not all God has for us. He has something truly wonderful for us. See, in Exodus chapter 19, which we just read, Israel had been saved by God. You see that in verse 4. He said, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. So this is something that has already happened. God has already saved them from their oppressors. God has uh, already freed them from that slavery. And even says there that he was present with them in a unique way. I brought you to myself, not just out in the wilderness. He brought them to himself. But that is not all that God was doing for his newly saved people. In addition to saving them, he wanted to give them purpose. And now get this, this purpose was found, founded and found in, I shouldn't have used those words together. The, the, the purpose was in God and therefore in fulfilling their purpose, they would find their greatest satisfaction and deepest joy. So yes, they're saved, but God also has a purpose. The purpose is in him. So in fulfilling, pursuing that purpose, they would find their deepest joy in God. And what I want you to understand today, just from the outset, I'm not going like, to keep it for a, a, sport, you know, a, a twist at the end. This is the same process God does today. God does save us by faith in Christ Jesus. He, he frees us from our bondage to sin. He gives us victory over Satan, our, our, our indwelling sin, and even this world. And we know that in a very real way, God is with us, right, through the, the Holy Spirit. But that's not all God has for his redeemed he saves us, yes, but he also gives us purpose right here, right now. And that purpose is in him. So by pursuing that purpose, we will find our greatest delight in him. And so this is very good news. That, that we're not just left, uh, you know, as it were, just to our, to our own and, and try to make ourselves happy, try to figure out our own plans, our own ways. God has given us not only salvation, but a purpose here on this earth to which we can find our greatest satisfaction in him. And so what I want to do today is show you from this text what it looked like for Israel and also what it looks like for us. So let's go ahead and see what Israel's new purpose was as the redeemed people of God. This is number one, if you like to follow along in your notes in the bulletin. Number one, Israel's new purpose. We see this most specifically in verses five and six. He says there, this is what God is saying. Now, therefore, if you, Israel, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, th there's that treasured possession part that we're going to dig into a little more next week. So this week, I want to focus mainly on this idea that God has given them the purpose of being a kingdom of priests. 
what does it mean for Israel, the, the, every individual that makes up the, the uh, nation of Israel, what does it mean for them to be a kingdom of priests? I'm not going to lie, this one has taken some studying and some thought and some crossing because I, I read different things, you know, and people say different things. And so I have to come to my own conclusions. What's interesting, I just want to point out to you, is uh, that later in this very same chapter, in verses uh, 22 and 24, we realize that there is already some sort of an unofficial group of priests within the Israelites. God talks about the people of Israel, and then he talks about and tell the priests this. So there is already at this point some sort of an unofficial, I don't want to call it ragtag, because I'm sure they were you know, very, very good at what they did. I don't know, but uh, it, 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 was, it was just something they'd, they'd put together. So this already existed, a priesthood within Israel. And we know, <clears throat> excuse me, and we know that later God will appoint the, 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 the descendants of Aaron, Aaron as the high priest, uh, and the descendants of Aaron to serve as the official priest. This would no longer be just the ragtag like uh, priest. This would be the official priesthood of the nation of Israel would be Aaron and his descendants, the formal priesthood of God to Israel. Okay, so, so you have these realities, but here in verse 6, God is saying, I will, you will be to me a kingdom of priests. Okay, so here is how I have worked this out. You have these priests within the people of Israel, both the ragtag and the official that will come later. And what they are going to do is they are going to be in service of God and in service of the people of Israel. They will teach the people about God. They will help the people to have a relationship with God. They will help them to worship God, to obey God, and find their joy in God. These are all things that through, through their different things that they did, they, they taught, they made sacrifices, they, they led them in worship, they, they did all these things. This is what the priests did for the Israelites. And that's the distinction that I think is going on here is you have these, this distinct group of priests within the nation of Israel and they were to serve the nation of Israel. The, only the individuals who were a part of the nation of Israel, they were to serve, to teach them about God and his character and his ways and all that he had done and to help them to worship and have a right relationship with God. And so you think of all of Israel as a kingdom of priests, not as a distinct group within, but all of them as a kingdom of priests. And I would say, well, if there are already a priestly group serving Israel, then maybe, and I, I believe this is the, the answer, and we'll, we actually see this confirmed in the New Testament, but we'll get there. What they are doing is not serving Israel, but serving the nations around them. They were serving God and serving the nations around them. Just like the priests of Israel, they were to teach the nations about God, his character, his ways, his law. They were to help the nations to have a relationship with God, a relationship of worship and obedience and enjoyment in God. This is what 
Israel was supposed to be. Now, it's interesting here. It says there to be a kingdom of priests. So, oh, by the way, I want to mention this. This is, I don't want to like just gloss over this. This is an absolutely huge statement. They've now come to Mount Sinai where the law is about to be given. Like this is a landmark moment uh, in, in the people of Israel's history. And God says, you will be to me a kingdom of priests. You will be ministers to the nations. And what's so cool about this is it is uh, to be a fulfillment of what God had promised to Abraham, right? The, the nation of Israel came from Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. So God promised to Abraham, Genesis 12, 2 and 3. He says, I will make of you a great nation, namely the, the nation of Israel. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So get this. What God promised to Abraham was not just that he would be saved, that he would be blessed by God, but that his people, the nation that came through him, would be God's conduit of blessing to the nations. I mean, you think about that. God is pouring down his grace on Israel, and it is supposed to be flowing through them to the nations around them that are, that are currently walking in darkness, headed to eternal death. That is what they are to be. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So this is an absolutely monumental statement. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests. You will have priests within the, the nation of Israel and they will serve you. They will help you have a relationship with God. But what you are then to do is to go out and help others have a relationship with God, to, to, to leave the, the, the tabernacle, to leave the temple and to shine light into this dark world. But there's a second aspect to this that I think is very important. We see, I believe, how they were to accomplish this, how they were to be a light to the nations. We see that again in verse five and six. I'll just read it all together. It's, it's helpful, I think. It says, now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. I'm convinced that the way Israel was to fulfill their purpose to be a kingdom of priests to the nations was by being themselves a holy nation. Now, the word holy uh, in the Hebrew, it, it just simply means set apart or, or consecrated. But the way the Bible uses that term is, is both a set apart for a special thing, but also carols, carries moral implications as well. The two are tied. So Israel is a set apart nation by God, set apart for special use and to have these, this pure moral implication on them. And it would be by Israel living as a holy nation that they would be a light to the nations, that they would act as a kingdom of priests to the nations. Now, I want to make this practical a little bit, um, not, not practical necessarily for your own lives, but for what this would have looked like for them. So all the nations around them 
by and large, I, I'm, I'm aware of very few uh, monotheistic uh, nations that, that only worshiped one God. The, the Israelites were, were kind of alone in having only one God. So all the nations, they, they were polytheistic, and so they would have the sun god, the river god, the, the fertility god. They'd have all these different gods, and they'd be bouncing around between all these different gods, trying to please whichever particular one they happened to need at that time. This is how the nations functioned. They were a fickle people with, honestly, fickle gods as well, bouncing around between these gods, which one they were worshiping at that moment. In addition, their gods <clears throat> did not make them holy. Okay, they're, they're, the gods that they worshipped did not make them holy. In fact, their gods made them horrible. You read about the detestable acts of the Amorites, of, of all these you know, different nations, the detestable acts. These gods would require, quote unquote, I mean, they're self-made gods, so they made their own rules, but they, they believed that these gods required the sacrifice of their children. These gods supposedly required uh, bad acts with, with cult prostitutes and things like that. I mean, this was very common, the, 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 the immorality and all sorts of uh, slashing and gashing yourself. I mean, it, it did not, it, it was not good or moral things that they were doing in su supposed worship of their gods as sa sacrifices to their gods. And when they left the altar, they left still very immoral people. I might also add another uh, big difference about these gods is that they never satisfied. They would worship these gods, but they were always longing, always craving but this is how Israel was to be holy, to be different. They were to be different because of Yahweh God. He is but one God, right? What, what's, uh, by the way, so we're about to get into the law of Moses. This is kind of the preamble, I guess, to the law of Moses that we're, we're studying right now, um, the, the Sinai covenant, whatever you'd like to call it. Well, the beginning of the law of Moses is the Ten Commandments. What is the first of the Ten Commandments? Anyone? Anyone want to take a try on that? You shall have no other gods before me. Does anyone know the second commandment or at least the idea of it? No. You shall not... Uh, you shall not make for yourself any carved image. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. So the distinction here is God says, you shall have no other gods before me. And not only not, not before me as though I'm just the best among many gods, you shall not bow down to any other God. I am a jealous God. Any more than you're cool with your spouse kind of playing around with other people, but liking you best. No, God says, I alone am God. I alone am worthy of worship. I alone am worthy of your praise. I alone can satisfy. Worship me alone. And so the nations were to see that. These nations that bounced around between pleasing all these different gods, worshiping all these different gods were to look and say, interesting. 
These Israelites are, are completely devoted and committed to this one God. There must be something different there. There must be something different about this God. In addition, as we talked about with the, the, the nations, rather than making them horrible, following God was to make them quite honorable people. The worship of God, the, the Yahweh God, uh, did not involve child sacrifice. It did not involve cult prostitutes. It did not involve slashing yourself or doing any other horrible things. And, and th this is the way it was to work out. Again, you, you can just use the Ten Commandments for example. They were to be devoted to God uh, in completely moral and modest ways. And then they are to leave the altar, as it were, and live in moral ways with one another, the ways they interact with one another. You shall not lie, you shall not steal, you shall not commit adultery. You, you, just all these, these different moral codes between one another that, that this God, following this God, was to make them good people, people who are living in upright, righteous ways. And finally, Israel served a God who could satisfy the world, again, the nations are to see this. They were to see, man, they, they only serve one God. They worship him alone. They, they reject all these other gods, these idols. And, and this God it makes them actually live in righteous, upright ways rather than in wicked ways. And, and they sure seem to be satisfied in him. They're delighting themselves in the Lord and he is giving them the desires of their heart. He is fulfilling them. They're not craving and longing after every sinful pleasure. They're not craving and longing after everything this world has to offer. Something is massively different. Do you remember the, the meaning of the word holy? Different, other, set apart. Israel was to live as a holy nation because they served a holy God. Their holiness, their differentness was to point to a God who is utterly different, utterly supreme to any man-made God or any sin or anything this world can offer. And the nations were to see that. They were to trust in this God, to learn how to have a relationship with, uh, with this God of, of worship and obedience. And they were to find their joy in him. This was the purpose of Israel. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests. This is, this is massive. This is so huge that they could be used in this way. The whole world could know God through them. God's blessing that was promised to Abraham could be distributed to the world through them. Knowledge of God, relationship with God, worship of God, enjoyment of God. This is the amazing purpose God gave them. Not to just wander in the desert until they died, but to live with purpose, showing the glory of God. But to make this sermon complete, we need to understand how things unfold in the biblical narrative. How things went for Israel. How do they respond to this new purpose of, of being a kingdom of priests that, that has this you know, uh, means of, of being a holy nation? How will they respond to this blessed responsibility? This is number two, Israel's imminent failure. I, I'm not sure how, how uh, well you know the book of Exodus, 
But this failure is imminent. I mean, it is like already about to happen. Notice that there in uh, verse 5 and 6, the promise was based on a condition. God had a condition for them fulfilling this, this purpose of being a kingdom of priests as a holy nation. It is this. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. If. These promises carried conditions. In order to be used in this blessed way, in this fulfilling way, this way that the purpose is found in God so they'd find their satisfaction in fulfilling their purpose, carries an if. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. They will not actually leave Mount Sinai before they have made a golden calf, an idol, and bowed down and worshipped it. Not only that, but we'll get there at some point, uh, but by, by the Hebrew language, it is very clear that they are imitating the detestable practices of the nations around them in the way that they are worshiping this golden calf. Great immorality is occurring as they worship this calf. And I mean, that's just the first one. This is while Moses is literally up on the mountain, they are down there doing that. Israel will so quickly fail. And, and by the way, like you just, it'll make you sick sometimes reading through the Old Testament, just how many times they, they literally go into a nation, God helps them overcome the, 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 that other nation and, and they, they you know, destroy them, they take possession of the land and then what do they do? They bow down to the gods of the land they have just overthrown by God's power. I mean, it's, it's hard, hard to read sometimes when you just see over and over. And then the ways they treat one another with injustice and unrighteousness, Israel will literally break every single command of God, every single aspect of the covenant, they will break it. And so that if, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, they will fail at miserably. And so as the nation of Israel goes, they will forfeit this amazing purpose God had given them. Instead of showing God's majesty, they will make God a mockery among the nations. The nations will look and say, can you believe how bad the Israelites are? You think I'm kidding. The, the nations really look at Israel and say, they are horrible. And they, they chase after all these other gods. And, and tell me, what, what about that's going to make them say, well, maybe I want the Israel's God. Nothing. They, are, they do not function as a kingdom of priests because they do not follow God. They, they, they worship other gods. They do immoral things. And they don't find their satisfaction in God. They seek it in everything else. And so they do not function as this kingdom of priests. It is not fulfilled in them. But, again, as we trace just a little further in biblical history, all hope is not lost. And this is number three, Israel's future fulfillment. And I use that word Israel's again 
You can say Israel will fulfill this role as a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. It's just not going to look the way that we thought it would uh, back in Exodus 19. Because then God was talking to the ethnic peoples, uh, people rather of Israel. These people bound by blood, offspring of Abraham, physical offspring of Abraham. But it won't necessarily go like that. This fulfillment will take two parts, okay? The way God fulfills this reaching of the nations, spreading the knowledge of his glory and satisfaction in him will take two parts. First, it is fulfilled in Christ. I don't want to drag this out too long, but uh, over a thousand years after the law is given and broken and broken and broken and broken, over a thousand years after that happens, there was born an Israelite who was different than the rest. Jesus is born uh, into the, the, the uh, tribe of Judah, but he was not born of the seed of man, but to a virgin Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so you have this intermingling of a true Israelite, but also the divine. We know this you know, from the rest of the Bible to be God the Son took up residence and a human that was formed and born. This one had the angels herald his birth, calling him a savior who is Christ the Lord. He was to be king of the Jews, so very much again an Israelite and the leader of Israel. We know that, that um, after his, or his birth, I don't know, there's a celestial star that arises over the location of his birth. That might seem like a strange uh, <clears throat> detail to add, but that celestial star is the one that the, the Magi, the wise men, came to find him who is king of the Jews. And they go to, I mean, it seems foolish, but they go to the Jewish king and say, where is he who is born king of the Jews? And so long story short, Herod is, feels very threatened by this one who is born king of the Jews. And so he sends people to Bethlehem, soldiers, to kill, to extinguish this child, to extinguish Jesus before he could ever be king of the Jews. And so Jesus and, and his family have to flee down to Egypt, okay? They flee down to Egypt, and that's where Jesus spends uh, the, kind of the beginning of his childhood. But the Bible tells us, Matthew says this, that after Herod died, an angel tells them, you can go back up to Israel. And here is what Matthew says when, when they go, go back to Israel. Yep. Uh, Matthew 2.15. This, Jesus and his parents going back to uh, Israel out of Egypt. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I have called my son. So, so Matthew, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says Jesus being pulled, drawn back out of Egypt, back to uh, Israel, the land of, of Israel, is to fulfill this prophecy, out of Egypt I have called my son. Now, as you see on the screen up there, that is a direct quote from the book of Hosea. Listen to the words of God recorded by Hosea. Hosea 11 verse 1, when Israel was a child, 
I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. You see that? I highlighted it in uh, the yellow there. It is a direct quote. One is in Hosea is in context talking about the nation, the people of Israel out of Egypt. I have called my son Israel. By the way, uh, Exodus chapter four, God calls the nation of Israel, his, his son, his beloved son. And so this is no surprise in Hosea. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. But now we see that Jesus has that prophecy applied to him. Out of Egypt, I called my son. What this means is that Jesus does come into this world to represent mankind, but more specifically to be a head, a representative head of the nation of Israel. And everywhere, every bit that Israel failed, Jesus will fulfill Jesus will perfectly obey God's voice and keep his covenant. We see uh, in Matthew 5, 17, Jesus said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law. That's talking about the law of Moses, the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Well, this is really important because God, back in Exodus chapter uh, 19 that we're studying, said, if you will obey my voice, if you will keep my covenant, this law Then you will be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And so Jesus does it. He was holy in every way that Israel was not. He served God and God alone. He never once sinned, even once. Not in his thoughts, not in his words, not in his actions. And Jesus sought and found his satisfaction only in God. He did not seek the praise of men. He did not seek riches. He did not seek fame in the way that we think of it. He sought his satisfaction in God. And because of this, Jesus was a priest, not just of Israel, but to the world, to the nations. In fact, the book of Hebrews calls Jesus the great high priest. This is Jesus fulfilling Israel's priestly role. He lives perfectly holy, and so he is that perfect priest Israel could never be. And I want to make it clear, Jesus was not only the priest, he was also the sacrifice that made it to where people could have a relationship with God, where they could worship God, obey God, and enjoy God. He did that on the cross with his own Life On the cross, he he not only uh, gave his physical life, but he bore our spiritual death. The wrath that we deserve was borne by him. And so he really was able to serve God and serve the whole world, to make us right with God, to be able to relate to God, worship him, enjoy him. This is what Jesus did. He fulfills this priestly duty as Israel, out of Egypt, I have called my son. This is what Jesus did. But that is not all. If you have trusted in Christ, if you've been united to him by faith, you are then united to the spiritual Israel and will now function as this kingdom of priests. So I'll show you this. It'll also be fulfilled by the church. So it's fulfilled in Christ Jesus, 
and it will be fulfilled by the church. That's you and me if we've trusted in Christ. Galatians 3.29 says something astounding here. It says, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Romans 9 says something similar. Not all who are born of Israel are the true Israel. It's, it's those who are, are born of this spiritual seed. Again, those who have trusted in Christ, we are united together and made this new uh, Israel in that sense. And then 1 Peter 2.9 says something even more astounding. But you, all Christians, Jews, Gentiles, male, female, black, white, rich, poor, educated, uneducated, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Christian, that's you. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. I hope that sounds familiar. A people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Now, you may find this somewhat interesting. In, in the Hebrew Bible, the, the wording is, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. You say, well, that says a royal priesthood. I looked it up. The Bible that most people used back then was the Greek Old Testament. So the, the, the old, old Hebrew Old Testament had been translated into Greek. It was known as the Septuagint. Guess how it words it there. Royal priesthood. So... Peter is, is, is transposing, it is a copy and paste from Exodus chapter 19 right here into 1 Peter chapter 2. And he is applying what was said about Israel to you and me if we've trusted in Christ Jesus. You are now this royal priesthood. You are now a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. You will fulfill it by being different and you will reach the nations and he makes it even more explicit exactly what it means to be these things, to be a, a royal priesthood, to be a holy nation. It says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we are to be holy, a people who are changed, wholly committed to God, wholly committed to obedience and morality to him and finding our satisfaction in him. But not only that, we proclaim it. We tell them about this God. We teach them just like a priest would. We show them how they can have a relationship with God through Christ Jesus and how they can worship, obey, and enjoy him. This has now been applied to you and me. I told you that Abraham's offspring was the conduit of God's grace to the rest of the world. Guess what? You are Abraham's spiritual offspring. The question is, what are we going to do with this purpose? I'll tell you, Jesus has already foundationally fulfilled this promise and the church one day will fully accomplish what, what Jesus has started by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. It will happen in general. The church will fulfill this. The nations will hear, the nations will believe, the nations will worship and enjoy God. The question is, what are you gonna do about it? Are you going to be a part of this marvelous purpose of God that he has not only saved you, but he has given you a purpose in this life? Israel was not casting off 
uh, a burden when they didn't obey God. They were missing out on the greatest possible joy they could have. Because this purpose was in God to glorify him, to display his glory to the nations. And as they did that, they were to find their greatest possible joy and satisfaction in God. And so not only do they make God look stupid among the nations by, by the way they live and the, by the way they act, they miss out on the greatest possible blessing, the enjoyment of glorifying God. And so what are you going to do? There are a couple aspects here we need to think about. The way we accomplish being this, this royal priest, the way you can be a priest of God to the world around you is by being a holy nation, a holy person. What is it about your life that makes you holy, distinct, set apart for the use of God? I'll just give you some areas to think about. Is it the way you spend your time? Does your time, the way you spend your time, set you apart from the world? Or do you piddle it away the way the rest of the world does? Spends it on ourselves, on our own selfish desires. What about your money? You spend money the same way as the world? What about your mouth? How do you use your mouth? How do you talk? Not only how do you talk, how do you listen? Do you laugh at the same jokes as the world? Do you smirk at the same sins as the world? What about your actions? Do, do, you, do you treat your family with, with this uprightness, this righteousness that God requires? What about your, your, your church family? What about your neighbors? What about your coworkers? What about love your neighbor as yourself? right? Treat others as you want to be treated. As you fulfill this law of love, you fulfill the whole law. What, what is it about your actions? And by the way, what, what about our actions when we don't think anyone's looking? What is it about you that makes you holy, finding your satisfaction in God, walking in worship and obedience to God so that the world sees there is something different, there is something special, there is something great about this God, and I want him. I'm tired of, of going to this, this well that has old, stinky water in it. I, I want whatever well they're drinking of, and we know it's that well, that spring, rather, of living water and it satisfies and we want to show the world that and we want to point them to it we want to proclaim the excellencies of him who's called us out of darkness into light so that they too can worship and glorify God and you think about the beauty of this plan and this purpose God receives the glory that he deserves God is deserving of all the worship and all the praise others get to worship and glorify God. <laughs> they get to set, find their satisfaction in God. And you, Christian, get to experience God this side of heaven. You get to experience the joy of being used by him, the joy of him sustaining you, the joy of him putting words in your mouth, the joy of his love working through you, flowing through you, and the joy of watching the Holy Spirit give birth in another person's heart. You get to enjoy God. But what are we going to do with it? Let's pray and ask God to change us by this word. Father God, we do again thank you for salvation. 
We, we, we do not at all take it lightly. We do not at all belittle the salvation you've given us. It is a beautiful, precious, undeserved gift. But God, help us not to be content in merely being saved when you have so much more for us. God, help us not to have our fire insurance and then just go about our lives as though nothing's different and live just like the world. God, I pray that by your power, by your Holy Spirit, you would make us a holy people. A people who worship you alone, who live for you alone and find our satisfaction in you alone that the world may know that there is no God like our God, that the world may find their salvation and their joy in you, and that we may have the distinct pleasure of enjoying and experiencing you even now. Oh God, we still have our flesh to fight against in this. We still want to do our own thing. We still want to pursue our own pleasures. We still want to uh, be content with comfort. Oh God, push us out of this comfort and into this wondrous world that you have for us, this wondrous opportunity to glorify your name and enjoy you forever. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. People of God, let's stand together and use this song as our prayer. I am so thankful that I get to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation with you. Uh, we, we don't go at it alone. We not only have God helping us along the way to be and do what it is we are called to do, but we have one another to love and encourage us along the way. It's, it's a beautiful thing. And so I'm so thankful for you. I want to remind you, we do have, again, the, the youth and slash college uh, Bible study here on Wednesday at 630 and the adult prayer meeting will, will meet here as well at the same time. And uh, yeah, I'm just thankful for all of you. And I want, I want to pray and, and just have God send us out.
Father God, would you again just astound us with your glory and the glory of the purpose you've given us, Lord, that we might give ourselves fully to it and fully to you, Lord. I pray that you do this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I love you all. Have a great week.